draw with Quicksilver cigars. Yes, sir. Hit the pleasure bullseye every time with Quicksilver cigars. That's Quicksilver every time for real cigar smoking pleasure. everybody even more library music I'm, I'm on a kick it's, it's some kind of end of summer start of autumn kick in the, in the library music it's Dan everyone uh, your main host for eventually super train the short-lived TV show podcast this is episode 55 and we are currently covering well Chris and myself are talking Green Hornet Mitchell and myself are talking Bourbon Street beat and getting scared my sweet wife Madeline and I are talking Ellery Queen one thing before we begin For some reason, in my plot breakdown for the Bourbon Street Beat episode, I keep calling the niece of the older lady her daughter. I forgot. I didn't write it down. My apologies. So when you hear me say her daughter, it's her niece. I don't know why it's it's not her daughter, though. Why didn't she have daughters? Where's the niece's parents? So, but that, forgive me. Please forgive me. Um, hmm. Yeah. Here we go, everyone. Mr. Dozier. Another challenge for the Green Hornet. His aide, Cato, and their rolling arsenal, the Black Beauty. On police records, a wanted criminal, the Green Hornet is really Britt Reed, owner-publisher of the Daily Sentinel. His dual identity, known only to his secretary and to the district attorney. And now, to protect the rights and lives of decent citizens, rides the Green Hornet. One of the things I love about doing this show is, well, I love every every segment we do, um, except the stinkers. No, we haven't any stinkers. Um, but but one of the, the joys is that when you get a show that has gone on for a while and you start to get near the end. And this is episode 23 of Green Hornet we're discussing right now. February 24th, 1967, alias The Scarf. And I'm here with my good friend, the wonderful writer, Kristen Hawes. Kristen, how are you? I am swell, Dan. How are you? Hey, I'm doing all right. This is a I th- this is kind of an atypical uh, episode of the show, which is interesting that they do this this late in the run, but also cool that they still had uh, still had um, uh, rabbits they could pull out of their hat, as it were. So let me give you guys a breakdown, and then we will chat about the episode. All right, here we go. Episode twenty three, alias the Scarf. February 24th, 1967, written by William L. Stewart and directed by Alan Reisner. We basically begin, well, we don't basically begin, we actually literally begin in a sort of, well, on a, on a foggy street, which looks like it's like Londinium or something like that, but Batman hasn't been there yet. Uh, and there's creepiness going on, and there's a wax museum with all sorts of criminals and stuff in it. And they have a new Green Hornet exhibit with Green Hornet and Cato and Wax. And Mike is there, for heaven's sake, talking about how great the likeness is. And who is the tour guide, you ask? Listen. This way, gentlemen and lady. Evolving stars, chamber of evil at one time or another, and most of them of death row, I might add. Colonel Stano Blaine, who never was a colonel, 
And we found that buttermilk was the most effective means of feeding arsenic to half a dozen wealthy widows. Jake Rack, who insisted he killed on the instruction of the little people, suggested that they be hanged instead of him. James Rankert, Mr. Axford, my partner and historian. He knows more about those figures than the authorities. Jimmy the Gun, the Yellow Gang's executioner. By police estimate, he killed over 100 gangsters in the Yellow Kid's battle with Lenny White for control of illicit whiskey and beer. Lenny and the Kid made their peace. Jimmy the Gun was out of work, so he killed them both. The Scar. Identity unknown. For years before the arrival of the Green Hornet, the star of the Chamber of Evil, urbane, ruthless, contemptuous of the police, he killed by using a white scarf as a garret. He was never captured. And then, oh, more than 20 years ago, he simply vanished. But even the greatest can be replaced, as will the Green Hornet himself one day. Now, if you'd like to take your photographs. The episode itself is very, um, it's very horror. And uh, it's basically this, 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 the person who, Mr. John Carradine, uh, talked about uh, the scarf is apparently a large again, walking the fog-shrouded streets of whatever city it is, Green Hornets. We're 23 episodes and I still don't know walking the fog shrouded streets and strangling people and we actually um he 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 sort of goes after one woman she gets away and um here here is her in uh brit's office chatting with everyone about her i don't want to call it an adventure her the incident he was about four or five feet away from me and and then he started coming at me with this scarf he walked kind of strange and, and, and funny, stiff-like, and, and his face, what I remember of his face, what I could see of it, it was kind of glossy-like. Like wax, you mean? Yes, yes, it was kind of shiny like that. Yes, well, uh, thank you, miss. Mr. Graham here will take you to the photo gallery. I'll have a reporter take your story. Thank you. So the killings continue, and the guys are looking into it, and they discover that the scarf once went out with a burlesque queen named Vena Rose. V-E-N-A, I imagine, Rose. That's her stage name. I believe her real first name is Hazel. Oh, Mr. B. No. Hornet goes to talk with Vena. Hazel. Who is the scarf? What was his real name? I don't know. You see, he always just sort of showed up. And he never made no passes. Then why did he keep coming back? Beats me. Unless... Maybe it was because I was a good listener, you know? I used to walk into my room, see? And there he'd be. Just sitting in the dark. He had a great big bottle of cold champagne and caviar just as black as the inside of your pocket and and those little tiny crispy crackers and then he'd start to talk <laughs> i tell you he could just talk your arm right off the shoulder and you loved it about completely ruthless murders no no never we 
We never talked about that, and I never believed he did any of them things. He always treated me just like a queen. He was a murderer once. He could be again. Oh, and anyway, I, I know he's dead. I know it. But he would have come to see me again if he hadn't been dead, and, and he never did. I'm going to leave the plot there, actually. I think this is uh, its an interesting sort of uh, very different kind of Green Hornet episode. But yeah, it's about this killer who may or may not be back going around doing stuff like this and, well, strangling people. And yeah, let's let's dive into our chat. Yeah! Kristen, what, 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 what did you think of Alias the Scarf? I would go on any tour guided by John Carradine. Yes. I just would. Mm-hmm. He is magnificent. I love him. He's he's been in so many wonderful weird things. He's he's a legend. He begat the Carradines. Mm-hmm. Um, what is Keith, David, Robert, and Chris? I think are all four of the boys. Yeah, and, that sounds right. And and then uh, Martha Plimpton's his granddaughter. So I mean, he just uh, his genes are magical, mm-hmm. clearly. But as for the episode, we'll get we'll get back to John Carradine eventually. Yes. Um, I like the episode. I think of it like it's the horror, it's their horror movie episode. Mm-hmm. We're going to see one later in this, this season, which is one of my favorites, towards the end. Uh, it's like their sci-fi episode. Well, this is their their horror movie episode because it's nice. It's foggy when apparently uh, the time of day is like 1880s England, London, when it's foggy. Because it, I could not tell what time it was, mm-hmm. but everything had this. They did kind of – it was kind of clever because – you couldn't see the city. And so it did have that very claustrophobic, very, you couldn't tell what year it was. You couldn't tell, you know, the time of day. Things looked really old fashioned out in the fog. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know why, but I really liked, I liked the atmosphere of it. I liked the wax museum because wax museums are always creepy because they always have the spare parts just laying around. Yes. Um, And sometimes they come to life. Yes, and sometimes they come to life and they start strangling people with very lovely scarves. Um, Sometimes successfully, sometimes not, because I guess one, the wax sculptor wasn't quite dead, Mm -hmm. and they interrupted another attack. Um, But I guess only the homeless guy died because, you know, well, homeless, Homeless throw away. Homeless guy. Yeah. But it was, you know, I really, I did. I I liked the episode. I liked the atmosphere of the episode. I liked that we had... The, the scarf's only connection to rea- to to the present time was um, the burlesque the retired burlesque dancer yes. yeah. that kind of knew him and and basically forgave him for being a serial killer because he tweeted treated her like a queen and brought her champagne and caviar yes, and stuff yeah. like see if you treat women better they will not look to serial killers <laughs> to set their standards. So yeah, I just I really do I really like this episode because it is it's very different from the typical, um, you know, formula that we've been used to where the Green Hornet comes in and he wants a cut of your your business or whatever yes. and then devils crosses you. This is completely different. This is all because uh, there's a Green Hornet Cato statue which doesn't look a lot like not not Green quite Cato yeah. um, being moved into this to the scarf spot. And that's kind of what kicks it off, and it's like it's it's creepy. It's got it's atmospheric. Mike is actually really subdued in this episode. Yeah. 
Um, he's not. He's not at all saying claiming. He never claims at any point that <laughs> the Green Hornet is behind the no, no. car. Yeah, yeah. It's it's actually it's played very serious. It's played very straight. It's very. To me, it's a very horror movie. Yeah. The ending was very sad. I thought too as well. So, yeah. it was it was very Hammer film. I liked it. Yeah, I um, it it's I almost felt like and I I, I and forgive me if this is denigrating the episode. It almost felt like it maybe was an episode for something else that they they brought in and put the Green Hornet in because none of the previous episodes feel anything. I mean, uh, you you don't get the um you know him go like you said going to the the crook and saying I want to cut to this. I I don't I if for you if I'm wrong I don't think the Black Beauty is in this episode. I, no, I don't think you see it. And and so and so it literally is sort of this strange story of a possible sort of wax figure coming to life. And killing people, and unlike previous episodes, this episode actually pauses whenever they go to visit Vina Rose, the burlesque dancer. Uh, the two scenes she's in, they're very calm scenes and they're very weird scenes. And she seems like she's. It seems like I, I don't. I don't want to say she's touched, but there are just there are moments in it where she seems like she's had a rough time of it, and. Um, like like Brit kind of chastises her for, uh, you know, when she says he would tell me these stories about killing people, and she's like, no, no, that's not what it was, and you feel like sort of like, well, the obviously the scarf is a jerk because he's going around killing people, but you feel like probably he's sort of a damaged person in some ways, and Vina is also, and these two people kind of sort of tragically came together for a brief time, and and I love the way Vina talks. Sometimes it's slightly odd like she has a moment where she says um uh so i went to a hamburger joint to get a hamburger which is a weird thing to say i think but then she has another line where she says and he brought me caviar black as the inside of your pocket or something like that and it's just whoa hey vina that's pretty good i would have um i i wonder if, if her act like she would recite poetry as she was doing something <laughs> up on stage or something you know or it was more like a um you know, like a flash dance style, um, sort of uh, interpretive dance kind of thing. You know, um, that, I guess that's what a lot of the burlesque was. But, uh, uh, but there, yeah, there, there is just such a. I mean, the the mystery behind the episode is kind of that there is no mystery when you see the scarf and it's a wax figure of John Carradine, and John Carradine is leading the tour. You're like, okay, I know where this is going, but but in this one, I I think it's okay. Because it is so weird, and it is sort of the Green Hornet trying to not solve a mystery per se, but kind of bring out this this guy and 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 bring him out so they can catch him so he doesn't hurt anyone else. And it's 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 such a it's such a weird just seeing the 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 town sort of, the city sort of shrouded in fog and. They don't really sort of go back to... Well, no, we do see some newspaper stuff, but it's like... It, it's nice to see an episode this late in the run that is so different from everything. I mean, at the end of the day, and I don't know if this is a spoiler, but at the end of the day, the, the final sequence is basically like a, a 61-year-old man trying to kill a burlesque dancer and Bruce Lee beating the crap out of him and subduing him. <laughs> You know, I don't know. You know, this was the point where John Carradine, you could see in his hands, the arthritis was beginning to set in. You can see that the hands are, are sort of bending slightly. 
Not as bad as it would be like if you watch like Revenge from 86, 87, like where his hands are just curled in. But but this you can see it's starting, and the and it's so weird that the final scene, like the big action scene, is just like it's it's not a big huge fight scene. It is getting this man to reveal that yes, I have done this and. And we're all kind of in a in a bad way here, and then they just kind of rush in and subdue him. It's so unlike. I mean, they they even they even have there. There's a scene early on where uh, the scarf kills the homeless person, and then like a woman sees him, and you see her scream, and then they have like a very sort of um, uh, horror film style. What did you see? He had these eyes, and he came at me with a scarf, and it's just like it's so different from everything else that I think. It's definitely worth watching. It's very atypical, but I think I think it's it's def- it's very atypical, and like I said, it's very <clears throat> in the end, it's very obvious. But I don't think that's the point of it. So I would I would give this one a thumbs up. I, I do like the the real wonderful weirdness of this episode. Yeah, it was like it's almost like it was their Halloween episode, but they didn't they didn't air it until uh, February. February. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it, it does, it has that that vibe to it, like you know, because t- especially TV shows around today, you know, they'll do a special Christmas episode, they'll do a special Halloween episode. Mm-hmm. I don't see too many St. Patrick's Day episodes, but oh. you know, still, and that's what it kind of felt like. Like we're gonna do this special Halloween episode and just not air it until after Valentine's Day. Yeah, hey, and they, yeah. they and they, and they, yeah, they shroud this. I mean, I, I have it here playing here right now, and you can see there's a gentleman sitting on a bench and the whole place is uh, covered in fog and there's someone who may or may not be John Carradine with a scarf about to attack him at the bus stop. And it's just it's it's. I, I, I would have loved to have seen if they would have done more episodes like this. Sort of uh, scary ep- or, or you know uh, creepy episodes like this. Oh, and unfortunately the scarf is foiled right there as he's trying to get that guy because the police pull up. But it's just it's it's so nice to see, and this isn't even a variation on the formula. This is another formula that they're they're going off of here. One that didn't become a formula, but I do I do, yeah I do, and I'd love to know what time of year this is because the town or the city never looks like this. And it, I, I'm I... no, and also what time of day it is because it's like everybody's still at work. Yeah, like, true. Uh, people true. are people are bums are sleeping on the the benches but you know there are people still catching buses mm-hmm. uh everybody's you know mike's still working uh casey and Britt are both still at the office so you have no and this wax museum is open forever apparently until someone gets murdered and then they close mm-hmm. it because it, it, it's like it, yeah you can't even tell what time of day it's like that's, it's very that's yeah. off balance i guess in a, in a sense because you don't know what time it is, and you don't know how much time has passed, and, and that's mm-hmm. fog does that. Fog, fog is wonderful. I've used it in my stories before because mm-hmm. it is. It's just so, it is creepy, and you can't see what's out there, and you can only hear things, and you yes. don't know what time it is, and yeah. So, it, it, I mean, atmospherically, I think the episode was really well done. I I, I think if I if I, I would. Maybe maybe I'll do this in, in future sometime. I might go back and just actually look at it, sort of scene by scene, to see how it goes, sort of fog wise. Because you do get like yeah, it starts off and there's the tour and they explain who the scarf is. Then apparently the scarf comes to life and you you kind of think it's past closing time, 
when he attacks the old guy. I have here the scarf loves strangling old guys, and he kind of <laughs> does. Um, and then he goes after the homeless guy, and then the woman screams. But then immediately the woman is being interviewed by Mike and, and Britt in, in the in the newspaper office. But then immediately the guy's getting attacked at the bus stop. But but then it cuts to Scanlon arriving at Britt's place, and Britt's calling Miss Case. And it's like, yeah, there, there really is, with the fog there, there is a feeling of a complete disconnect for what, what time it is. When things are happening, when do they go to visit Vina? When when does Vina show up in the end? You know, when does that happen? You know, when do they have that strange psycho style final scene where they Scanlan talks to the scarf and and Britt is watching with Mike and it's just it's a weird almost I, I hesitate to say, but I will say it's almost almost surreal in the way it kind of tells a story. Just, just because the scarf and Vina, because you get Green Hornet and Cato and all our regulars, but because of the fog and because of the strangeness of the way Vina talks and her meeting with the scarf, it, it's all you're in a completely different place, which I really like and appreciate. I, I think it's, I, 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 you know, talking to you about it, I feel like I should have watched the episode one more time before I came on here to talk about it. Because I feel like there was even more going on than I thought. Yeah, I didn't get to watch it as many times as I normally do. I only got to watch it like twice. And I, yeah, I'm with you on that because it's like, there is, and it's funny too because it's like, you know, you as you said, there's a lot more going on, but it doesn't feel like there's a lot more going on. It's much, it's not like um, Ace in the Hole where everything's just being thrown at you. It's like this subtly, subtle layer type deal that there's, like uh, stuff that we're not seeing because it's not apparent because hey it's foggy, yeah. you know it's it's there's an undercurrent there I guess. There's something too about this town that's filled with so many gangsters and so many jerks that you know Hornet and Cato blow up and set on fire and things like that. But it's it's just like in the fog. I wonder if it's could it be like the fog, um, sort of activated? Do they do they say why the scarf comes back? Could it be could it be that just the fog brings the scarf back or something? Because he's in this this house of murderers and thing. It's like there's a guy named Jimmy the Gun. You know, I forget what Jimmy the Gun was up to, but you know, John Carradine's character explains it. But I, I like the thought that the you have this wax museum and the fog shows up and maybe the fog isn't a regular thing in this town and suddenly in the fog you get this Jack the Ripper style killer just wandering around attempting to kill mainly old guys. Well, which is an interesting MO. Um, But no, I think what they said was, is that basically the scarf was obsessed with immortality. And basically that was being known and having him, his figure moved to the back in favor of green Hornet and Cato kind of set him off. He needed to reclaim his place because that's what he told Vina when she goes to when she yes. goes and has dinner. Apparently, she had, like dinner set up, a dinner table set up at in front of the scarf there, the in, in front of the wax figure. And you know, he says to her, "I, you know, I'm immortal. I'm a vessel of his immortality." Which I'm like, I would believe it, John Carradine. I would believe it. Yeah, yeah. And then, but then he says that she's going to earn immortality too by being the scarf's last victim. So when they find her there. It's basically he's going to reclaim his place and push. It was an ego thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it really was. It was wow. ego motivated comeback because he wanted to to always be remembered. Yes. Yeah. They and and 
and the, uh, <clears throat> I, I'll, I'll applaud whoever it was. I'm guessing it was William L. Stewart who wrote this episode. But that Vina character, she's so weird. Like the Green Hornet sort of shows up in her house, and the way it's played is you see the Hornet, and behind the Hornet uh, are is a house. There are lamps, and there are lots of photos and things like of her life. But where she, whenever it cuts to her, she's just in front of like a green wall. And there's, it's almost like she is in like another dimension or another space. It's, it's like the Green Hornet is in the Green Hornet. He's in the space where he just, how, how does he get in? He just walks on the set and he's in your room and you're, you're done. You know, he talks to you. But she's like in this weird space where like instead of fog, she's just got this green space behind her. Which if it were green screen, they could put, um, you know, like a smoke or, or a fog behind her. But but it's it's funny that whole scene. The first time he talks to her, most of it, I believe, I I have to watch it again. But yeah, it's weird. Yeah, because it cuts to him with her life behind him. But then most of it, not all of it, but most of it, you just get this green space behind her, which is really odd. And I'm I'm wondering if those were those were um, like choices or it was just like um, just put her there, just stand right there. Well, I don't know. Venus seems to have like this disconnect yes. going on in her own life, in that, in many ways, I think her life stopped when the the scarf stopped coming around. Because mm. they said she was a burlesque dancer 15 years ago, which was about the time I guess the scarf disappeared. Well, 15 years ago in '67, that's the late 40s. Yes. So, uh, you know, it's because that that accounts for her speech, because you know. Uh, like the caviar is black as the inside of your pocket. That's a very old fashioned old school thing. Uh-huh. Kind of the flowery prose that would have been said like in the thirties and forties and stuff like that. And it's like time kind of stopped for her. Like she has a disconnect in her own life. That's why she's going to a hamburger joint to get a hamburger. Yes. Well, I don't even think in the sixties they, you know, they would have said anything quite like that. Yes. You know, they would have said they were going to a burger joint or, mm-hmm. You know, stuff like that. She might say hamburger sandwich. That would have been great. Yeah, that would have been fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to get a hamburger sandwich. I mean, it's obviously she's very disconnected from her own life, and especially reality when when she's sitting there staring at the scarf in the wax museum, because she said she never went to see it because it wasn't him, and now they're being told, well, maybe he's coming to life, so she's going to go and set up this table. Mm-hmm. I guess she did it, and to sit there and stare at him, and she is so transfixed that she does not see John Carradine walk up and like wave his hand in front of her face until yes. he touches her. She's yes. just oblivious, and I think that's just how disconnected she is. Yeah, and for a brief second, it seems like well, she's not a wax figure, is she? No. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's 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 weird because it's it's it's. I think it's one of the few times on this show where. Um, there, there seems to be a lot more underneath the surface than um, that, because normally these shows they come in like Prince Charming, you know, it's he's this guy and and there's Janet and she's there and they're doing this thing, but this one it feels like there's a ton of stuff going on with the scarf and Vina below the surface, which, which, which Britt seems somewhat interested in, but really he's interested in stopping the scarf, but the episode seems interested in telling in giving us bits and pieces of this story and this relationship, which is really wonderfully weird. And um, I um, I really liked it. The more I think about it, the more I like it. And, yeah. And um, and I just, I just, 
I, I, I do love John Carradine in this, but I think that Vina character, just the way... Uh, and I, ju I just actually finished up the scene. It was playing on the TV to my left. And there is a moment where she goes like into a cupboard and she takes out some, some stuff. And you see her with the Green Hornet and all this and her room. But when she says her most important stuff, it's just like a shot of her with a green wall behind her. Like she's separated. Like she, she has photos hanging everywhere except in the spot where she has to tell the most important story about her life. And yeah. then she just has this blank slate behind her. And, and it's funny, too, that it's a green wall and she's talking to the Green Hornet. I don't know if that means something, but... Another layer of subtlety. I think. Right there. I, I, I think. I think. I, this this is the one episode of Green Hornet I felt like I should have really have watched another time. Yeah, me too. There, the, it was there was much more depth to this episode I think than the other episodes. It's not your regular formula. We're not doing the same old thing. We're doing something a little bit deeper, mm -hmm. especially when you hear Vina talking about the scarf and. So as we know the scarf and have seen the scarf, he's strangling people left, right, and center and. and uh, according to Green Hornet, he was a he was a robber as well. Mm. Um, but she, the way she talks about him and that she says that you know he would just come to see me and he and she goes I guess because I was a good listener he never asked anything of her, yeah. and you have to figure she was a burlesque dancer so every other man probably thought he could get something from her yes. wanted something from her and he never did that he only gave he never really took, and so she kind of has built this this image of him in her mind and the, I mean like it's like a bubble she lives in this bubble with this idea in her head and then she gets to the end and and he's going to kill her to be the last victim and you can see how horrified she is that you're you're not the man I thought you were you want to take something from me too yeah that's so. yeah it's 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 because those 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 two the, the two scenes with Vina I think uh make this into a different kind of... I don't know if they planned it like this, but make it into a slightly different sort of thing. Just her sort of character. This the, and, and like the, the the scarf, obviously, is, is a screwball. He's going around killing people, wandering foggy streets, strangling people, more or less. With I, I like that he strangles people, but not all the way sometimes. It's like, nah, I got bored. No. Well, I like that he was when he was walking around strangling people, too, he had this very stiff-legged walk, and I'm like... Yeah. Is your wax a little stiff? Like, what's happening here? Why are you walking like that? Because John Carradine didn't walk like that no, when he no. was giving his tour, but the but the scarf did, and I'm like, is this to like make people think that the wax figure came to life? Oh, oh or yeah. are you okay. really just you, did you have an accident in your shorts? Because it's kind of a little funny. And how are you running the cops doing this? Yes, yeah, yeah. He's he's got like a real slasher uh, kind of thing where he just he somehow goes faster even though he's going slower. Yeah, and well, when he was going faster, he looked a lot like the penguin because he was like doing that stiff legged <laughs> yeah, yeah. walk. That, and he was going back and forth, and I'm like, he looked like Burgess Meredith. Yeah. Uh, so I I think I think the the more I think about this episode, the more we could talk and talk for ages about it. But I think. Um, this this wouldn't be the episode I choose to show someone of the Green Hornet. I don't know which one that would be, um, but but I would think maybe after a, like a half a dozen episodes, this would be an interesting one to show them, because I, I think all, the really interesting stuff in this episode is sort of some of it's under the surface and it's all not related to the Green Hornet and Cato, 
which makes it kind of fun because normally they're in the thick of things. But right, this is, yeah, they were kind of like side characters in yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, and they, and they show up at the end just to save the gal. Yeah. Who who is kind of willing to sacrifice herself in a way, but they won't they won't allow that. That's why they're the heroes, you know. Yes. Um uh but uh yeah, I I don't know. I I really like this this I really like this episode, but I can't I I, I wouldn't again, I would not recommend this as your first, second, third, fourth, fifth episode of this show. You got to no. This yeah. is like you show them like ten episodes and and like you got the formula now you got it okay here watch this watch this one and focus. and watch their head spin <laughs> yeah focus because there's uh, there's some interesting stuff going on here so I I think I think that's all I have what do you have anything else on this one um just one more little note and that was the I felt like the atmosphere was so good the horror movie aspect of it was so good. That when Cato and um, Green Hornet break into the Wax Museum, which with a gratuitous Cato kick, I might add, they go in and they open John Carradine's trunk with the Hornet sting, and I half expected a dead body to fall out. That's where I was at, <laughs> because that's how good the atmosphere was. I was just convinced that they were going to open it and some random dead person was going to fall out. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I agree with you there. The I, I, I like the fact, I, I just love the fact that this city that we've seen so much of and generally, day for night, uh, we've seen so much of, and and also generally studios, it is now just shrouded in this fog. I, I, I'm glad that they didn't say, although I would have understood if they had said something like, where the hell does fog come from? But I, I'm glad they just sort of, it happens. That's the way it happens. And I'd like to think also maybe that like uh, William Stewart came up with this idea, maybe like, at Halloween, and they were like, "Oh, Bill, you should have come up with this episode like three months yeah. ago." Oh, then we could have done it at Halloween. Now we're not yeah. going to get it on until early next year. Yeah, yeah, at least they didn't like say, "Well, we'll wait for it for next season." Oh, yeah, that's true. That would have been <laughs> heartbreak. We never would have got it. Yeah. Uh, um, so, um, oh, I'm sorry. Do you have anything? I else? also have. I've got a couple of small bits of trivia. Okay. This was actually a bit of a, a Crowhaven Farm get together. Oh. It was a reunion before the movie actually ever came uh-huh. out. Because uh, I we all watched Crowhaven Farm for Made for TV Mayhem. Yes. Um, uh, both John Carradine and Patricia Berry, who played uh, Vina Rose, were in Crowhaven Farm. Oh yes. So there you go. And also um, our our little guy who got the wax maker. Oh yeah. Uh, what's his name? Peter Wilman, I think, was the character's name. It's well, he's played by Ian Wolfe. He's been in several things, but most importantly, he was in Hawaii Five-0. It's been a while since I've mentioned Hawaii Five-0. It has. It's a heartbreaker. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he was in an episode that I actually wrote about on my blog called uh, Retire in Sunny Hawaii Forever. And again, he did not fare well. He was the murder victim in that episode as well. But I thought that was fun. A little fun bit of Yay. All right. Um... It's funny this this episode. I want I want to talk more about this episode, but I think it's time to wrap it up. Uh, so, um, uh, Kristen, where 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 can we find you online? You can find me on my blog, kikiwritesabout.com. That's where all of my posts are, my rerun junkie posts, um, links to my Patreon, links to all my published works. You can buy me a coffee. You can check out writing for tips, and uh, if you need me twenty four seven, you can follow me on Twitter at kikiwrite. Bourbon Street Beat. Bourbon Street Beat. 
Starring Richard Long. In New Orleans. Andrew Duggan. This is the blues. With Arlene Howell and Van Williams. Produced by Warner Brothers. Episode 11 of Bourbon Street Beat the Golden Beetle, December 14th, 1959. And I'll be darned, I cannot find the writer-director on the copy I have. I'll, if, if, if I, maybe we say it in the thing, I forget. Um, it's weird, because uh, it's normally it comes right up at the in, in the closing credits. I think my closing credits are cut off on the copy I have, which is too bad. This one is very simple. A woman named Charity Legrand, Legrand and her... Her daughter, her uh, uh, show up at the office after they've had some letters and uh, a, the golden beetle, which is some sort of ancient relic, um, little well, not ancient, but several hundred year old kind of. It's the gold bug, folks. It's Edgar Allan Poe's the gold bug, and they they want Charity and her daughter want them to find the guys to find uh, Victor, the daughter's uh, husband. And get the letters back and get the golden beetle back. And we meet a guy named Dr. Zorb, who's kind of a museum-y guy who should be nice but possibly isn't with that name. There you go. And it, I'm going to keep this one very simple. This is the gold bug. It's basically about the first half of it is kind of creeping around an intrigue and the discovery that there may be some hidden pirate treasure that um, the Legrands, uh, Legrands have access to. And uh, then it suddenly becomes going deep into the bayou, uh, more or less, and hunting for treasure, a la the gold bug. So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna leave it at that because I think that's that that sums it up. This is slightly we'll talk about a slightly different sort of episode than the other ones, but I think it's um I think I I think it's a good time. Uh, I wish I could find that writer director credit. I don't know what the heck is going on with me, but here let's chat. Can you hear that, folks? White wine on ice. White wine on ice. Do you like to smooch? And we're going to add to this one, we are going to add the word polaxed. And it's going to be, <laughs> not polox. No, no, no. Polaxed. <laughs> um, I've been called a polox in ages. Oh, the good old days. Um, I, 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 we're we're going to talk Golden Beetle, and I'm here with my good pal. It's about TVs, Mitchell Hadley. How are you, Mitchell? I'm well, Dan. How are you? Good. I've got white wine on ice, apparently. And you I haven't am... said I am loving it. Let's let's be honest. Um, that old that old crazy broad was right. It's tasty. <laughs> now, um, uh, before we dive in, uh, I know your your uh, your book is out. Please just tell yeah. us tell us real quick about the book. You can tell us again at the end, but I, I just want to put put it on the front here. It's called The Electronic Mirror: An Opinionated Look at How Classic TV Helps Us Understand Who We Were and Who We Are and Everything in Between. It is a collection of essays on the uh, era of classic TV, roughly from the mid 50s to the end of the 70s, and how that period of time reflects our cultural development and sets the stage for the culture in which we live today. Excellent. I have the book, and it's fantastic. And uh, <laughs> I got I got to get you to sign it for me. I will be happy to do so. Yay! We'll meet halfway somewhere. We will. We will. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, what are we doing now? Um, the Golden Beetle. Here we go. I, I so we'll we'll do as always. We'll start with a broad overview, and then we'll hit the hit some details. What what did you think of the episode? I thought this was another good episode. It um, has some uh, some interest in it. You're not quite sure 
who is who in this. Uh, so there is, uh, unlike the previous episode, which really wasn't about who done it, but it was more about the process of the investigation and Kenny becoming a private investigator. This one does return us to the suspense genre, and I think that it does so in in an effective way. It has another interesting uh, cast of characters from Louisiana, again with with names that uh, that could only come from New Orleans. It uh, another nice job of doing that. I think that uh, this was a very pleasant episode to watch. I th- I think the thing I like about this episode is that for literally almost the first half, it's kind of like a mystery that goes that goes occasionally in a dark direction, like when the um when Victor is is killed. Uh, the, the sequence where he's killed, it's he calls his his wife's uh, you know um, shop, his wife and his uh, his aunt's shop. I think that's charity mm-hmm. is the aunt, the shop, and you you just see him in this grotty room, and his like his his bare foot is handcuffed to like a a, a, a dirty old bed, and he's like sprawled out on the floor with blood on his face on a phone that's slightly out of reach and I thought is he like in the middle of a saw film or something what is going on it's it's like it, 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 this is uh, it, it's kind of a it's kind of a slightly disturbing moment and then when the people come in and kill him well that's you know that's uh, even more disturbing yeah, especially yeah. for him yeah and and it's it's a weird moment because it's got the the tone sort of goes here and there and and it, it does things like um uh, and I don't know if it's done this yet. I, I don't remember. It hasn't done this in the past few episodes. Like when they're describing the story about finding the letters, mm. it's it's it, it becomes a series of flashbacks. Uh, to, yeah, I don't I don't think they've done that much in the past. So so it's kind of it it kind of goes there, and then there's the the darkness of the guy in the room who gets shot, and then there's a kind of that cool way Cal and, and Rex who team up throughout the first half of this episode, which is really nice because I you know, was going to say the same thing. To see them working together is very fun, and it's it's great because about halfway through it, it becomes a completely different thing, uh, which is nice when they go off and it suddenly becomes the gold gold bug. It becomes mm-hmm. like a completely different thing, and it becomes super fun. Uh, I, I think it's a lot of fun because you have the bad guy, and I don't think it's spoiling it to say that a character named Doctor Weldon Zorb is the bad guy. <laughs> what else? What else? I mean, you hear that, and I instantly—I I was either in the early '30s with like a Boris Karloffy type mad scientist or Bella Lugosi mad scientist, or I was in the '50s and he was like making giant tarantulas or something. I don't yeah. know. You know that a character named Dr. Zorb is not a Nobel Prize winner. I think they telegraph. not that kind of doctor. They telegraph right off the top. I'm sure he probably says that a lot. You know, Dr. Zorb, could you? I've got a pain in my back. I'm not that kind of doctor. (laughs) I I think they telegraph that Zorb, and I don't think this is a spoiler because this is because you know that Zorb is the bad guy. Real, at least about by the halfway point, and the second half is about finding this treasure. And um, and so well, and then uh, it becomes kind of like uh, oh, uh, a Raiders of the Lost Ark, yes, uh, Frank Buck adventure story, yes, and that yeah. is a really nice change of pace. And it's a super change of pace from like the beginning, where it's this sort of um, why did this man go missing? Did he? What are these letters about? Stuff like this. And then as it goes along, you learn more and more. It beca- it's it's really um it's really quite I, I, I complex might be too much of a word for it, but they really do a nice job 
of putting the whole thing together mm-hmm. and sort of just in the same way that um it's funny because like two episodes ago you thought they were going to do the lady vanishes but they pull some tricks on you this time you think they're going to do the gold bug and they do but they spend the first half kind of pulling tricks on you yes. and then they then when they do the gold bug you're invested in it and it's 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 a lot of fun to see them doing this just because you spend half the time thinking there's going to be no treasure there there isn't going to be any treasure there. And then, mm, is there a treasure there or not? I'm not going to tell you, but I will say someone gets poleaxed. So that might that might give something away. I don't feel like this is one that is is it's too bad to give stuff away on. Because it's more about, like the second half is more about the journey to, yes. to find the treasure. And it's very it's a very satisfying ending, too. Yes. Yeah, it really is. Um, and it's really, um, it's the guy who gets poleaxed, they, they always keep him at a distance but he's got a lot of blood on his face for 1959. Yes, he does. Well, well, and and I think Rex is it Rex who makes just kind of a vague gesture. Uh, it's either Rex or it's one of the other henchmen when uh, Doctor Zorb says something. What happened to him? And he makes this this little bit of a gesture about how part of his head is missing or something. Yes. yes. And that was very, there was very nicely done. You're right. That combined with the the subtlety of uh, the the blood there really creates uh, the the impression of how bad it is, yeah. even though you don't see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I I think it's. I just saw. I'm watching the first scene with Doctor Zorb, and I think they they telegraph it by the fact that he's supposed to. He's a museum curator which means you would think he'd love all things antique. Yes. But the very first moment you see him, he's 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 smoking a cigarette or something or other, and he lights a match on the back of some sort of like horse kind of antique-looking thing. Yeah, you would never do that if you had a real love for this. Yeah, it's, it's so weird because you see that. It's like the moment you see it, you're like, okay, he's lighting off of there. But then when you realize it was the second time I watched it where I was like, why would someone who was really loved and was interested in antiques rather than lots and lots of gold light a, light a match on the back of an antique? And, yeah. that doesn't, that, and I think they're, they, they telegraph it nicely because I don't think you'd think that the first time you were watching it. And since the show was canceled after a season – most folks probably didn't see it a second time. That's right. So, um, although at the end of the episodes we're watching, we get a more or less modern day ish like Warner Brothers logo. So these are still being syndicated somewhere, which is which is interesting. Um, and they're very very good prints too. They are pretty pretty darn nice prints. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, I'd, I'd love to see this come out on like a proper uh, set. I'm sure it would look gorgeous. Well, just um, keep keep telling yourself someday my prints will come. <laughs> <laughs> Folks, this is why I have Mitchell on the show. These things, we don't write these out beforehand. He just came up with that. Can you believe it? <laughs> uh, what, uh, I forget what we were talking about. Oh, um, uh, so, um, yeah, I think it's a super fun episode. And I think the thing that really gets me is that, like I said, it, for the first 23, 24 minutes, it feels not like a, quite like a regular 
episode, but but it kind of does, um, with some sort of side things, and then the second half it just goes completely in a different direction. Mm-hmm. And you know who the bad guy is, you know what the bad guy wants. Now it's about trying to find this treasure, and how the heck are um, Rex and April going to get out of this? And I liked April quite a bit. Yes, I did. Isn't that? Didn't she sound like she could have been? Uh, uh, you know, the, all of these names sound like they could have been from uh, a James Bond film. Yes. yes Remember, was it Charity Legrand? Charity yeah. Legrand, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, like, I like April. She does have sort of a Bond girly mm-hmm. feel to her in some way. A yes. little more de- mm-hmm. demure, um, but, uh, but certainly a Bond girly feel to her, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, what else do you have? Let me scan my notes here. Well, Charity yeah, Legrand. I think oh, yes. one, well, this, this has what is perhaps my favorite scene in all of the series to this point. Oh, wow. It's when, uh, when Rex and Cal are talking with uh, April and uh, how, you know, how did you meet your reprobate husband? And she said, I met him one April in Paris. And, oh, yes. and Cal starts deadpanning quoting the lyrics to the song and and then he he looks over at uh, rex and kind of winks and rex gives him one of these looks you know there's a little beat before he turns his attention back to what the women are saying and it's it's a wonderful scene. First of all, because because the the April and Paris bit is very funny, but it also shows you the relationship that's developed between the two of them. That uh, that that uh, it's like Cal is saying to Rex, "You knew I was going to do that, didn't you?" And Rex, in turn, is saying, "See what I have to put I up with around here." That. <laughs> I like that's that's one of the. I, I think. Um, you watch, and this is not to denigrate any era of television, but you watch a show nowadays, and and they they ladle on um, not only the um, uh, the uh, like like story arcs and, and such, mm. but and, and continuity, um, but that like character stuff is always like like pushed uh, um, in a lot of time. In lot, not all shows, but character stuff is sort of like more in the foreground and stuff. And one of the joys of shows like this back then is that. There's all sorts of stuff like that in, in these shows, but they're kind of they're always in the background. I, I was yes. I was pointing like Rockford Files. If you watch Rockford Files from beginning to end, and I, yes, I have the uh, Mill Creek Blu-ray set about ten feet away from me. Why do you ask? And I, I, I I've I've watched Rockford all the way through at least twice, and you watch it, and you know. Uh, it's it's like if you just watch two or three episodes and you're expecting the sort of modern day character development and such you ain't going to get it no but you watch 30 or 40 of them and i know what you're saying dan please it's a great show but you watch 30 or 40 of them and you get the character it's all in there it's just it's like green acres does that too amongst all the absurdity there are little scenes here and there with you know like um with like Rockford and his dad with Oliver and Lisa you know where it's just these these little moments that build the characters so they accumulate so so yeah. you suddenly you suddenly hit a point like this where you where like you said you saw this and you and it was your favorite scene and it wasn't it was it was a it was kind of a dumb joke that <laughs> that Cal made <laughs> that he he couldn't he couldn't not make and Rex was like, "That's my Cal." Uh-huh. You know? and, that's exactly and so, it. 
and that's that's the joy of shows like this for anyone who who might be uh, uh, listening and is, is is not into these sort of shows simply because you're not going to get the continuity. I mean, you, you will get it here and there, but you're not going to get... But that's not the way these shows work. You'll get continuity of character yes. rather than, like, continuity with... You, you're not going to get a 13-episode story arc in the middle of the season or something like that. But you will, if you like the characters, a well-done show, which seems to be what this is. You know, we're mm-hmm. 11 episodes in now, and this seems to be... You will get the continuity of character that will keep you coming back to see the characters. Which is well, you're, why yeah, it's you're cool. talking about one of my pet peeves now about the story arcs and and mm-hmm. and quirk bots. I I call them. I don't remember where <laughs> I got that phrase, but almost every show has nowadays has to have p- characters who have quirks in lieu of genuine character development. Yes. You turn them into particular. Uh, archetypes and they all you know you've got you've got the goth you've got yes. the uh, the playboy you've got the the um, the nerd you've got all these different archetypes and filled with all of their quirks and it's a substitute for real character development and I would say a show like Hogan's Heroes is the same thing that we were talking about. If you watch the whole run of Hogan's Heroes, you learn a heck of a lot about what yes. these guys were like. And every once in a while, Hogan will say something that gives you a glimpse at what kind of an officer he was before this, or what even what kind of a kid he was growing up. And it'll, that's what allows you to speculate on what life is going to be like for him after the war. Mm-hmm. And I I love that kind of organic development because they don't they don't feel like they have to show all their cards at once. Yes, they don't. They yeah, it's not. And it, it um oh crap! I just had a uh, I had a brilliant point. No um and oh one of the things about this show, eventually Super Train, is that um uh and did we forget to mention? We did forget to mention. And I just this is backtrack real quick. A couple episodes ago, who was the actress who played Lusty Weathers? You guys remember from Mrs. Mm. Finervanish? Nita Talbot? Yes. She was in five episodes of Super Train. Really? Yes. Wow. And and when when I eventually get to Super Train on here, we'll be talking more (laughs) about her. I just thought I I had a note here that I forgot to – sorry. Um, So – no, one of the things I love about the short-lived shows is that the super fun ones to watch – now, granted – this has 39 episodes, so so this that's a lot. That that's more than some shows that run for like three seasons mm-hmm. nowadays get. 39 hour long episodes. Long episodes we should yes. add, yes. Yeah. So 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 you're literally you're you're getting a. There's a lot here, but 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 other shows. I mean, one of the joys. I'll go to Manimal because we covered Manimal pretty heftily, and there were heftily. That's not a word, is it? No, it heft, is now. Heft heft heftalicious. Um, there were there were eight episodes <laughs> of Manimal. And as we watched each one, there were little moments, little bits, little different ways they told the stories and things that when it ended, we were like, oh, I wish there had been more of that. Mm-hmm. And and it's like the, the, the reason why I love the short-lived shows is that they they give you – the best ones give you a piece of a universe, and then they get stopped before they can finish it. Yeah, and I know that people people might think, well, we're, we're making a big deal out of a little point, but it's pretty obvious, I think, to anybody who's, uh, for, for you who've been listening to this these uh, podcasts so far on Bourbon Street Beat, it's pretty obvious we both like this series. Yes. And, and 
um, in lieu of actually giving you a play-by-play, a blow-by-blow of what happens in the episode, I, I like to think that even a little point like this is expanding to show you what it is about this series that we like. And and you remember when Cal first moves in uh, in um, the second episode, when he moves in as a partner, he's got all these pictures of the old uh, movie stars. And you know that he's a movie buff, film buff, so you know something about him. Now, they don't make a big deal out of that, but I think that this whole April in Paris joke is inevitably an outgrowth of someone who has those kinds of likes. Mm -hmm. So they... There again, they've let the character develop organically based on the premise that they have set for the character. They, they haven't tried to contrive a situation that allows you to discover a hidden aspect of somebody's character. Like so, so many of the police procedurals, and I'll pick on them because I write about them in my book. Um, What's the name of that book? I forgot. Uh, oh, let me see. Ah, The Electronic <laughs> Mirror, yes. Hooray! <laughs> but one of the things about the police procedurals is that every one of them has to have at least one episode where you find out something about the the hidden past of one of the main characters, about some kind of a trauma, about something they're having to deal with, work through, whatever it is. Clearly, some kind of a psychological situation that most likely would have disqualified them from ever getting on the force in the first place. <laughs> yes. and, yeah. and they use it in service of the plot and the plot dictates we well we we got to have a, uh, a a female in distress one we're going to use this is going to be Julie's female in distress episode let's mm-hmm. go back and give her this past so that it will fit in to the plot yes. and this kind of thing and um the the uh, the this April in Paris moment does nothing for the plot but it does everything for the characters mm-hmm. and i just I, uh, another thing you, when you mentioned uh, him and his movies, he and Melody and Kenny, uh, Cal and Melody and Kenny, go to see a movie yes. about halfway through. They go to see Male and Female, Cecil B. DeMille film starring Gloria Swanson from 1919, a uh, silent film. They actually go to see a silent film, which is almost two hours long. I love silent films. I mainly love silent comedies. A two-hour-long Cecil B. DeMille drama might make me sleepy. Um, if maybe if Buster Keaton shows up and has a house fall on him, then I'd be <laughs> I'd be in. But uh, but I just love the fact that they're as as Rex is talking with April about the case and they're discussing these letters and everything. Cal just walks by and he's like, "Well, I'm going to see Male and Female, uh, 1919 silent film in the theaters." And Melody says, "Can we come along? Sure." And they all go. He seems just slightly disappointed that Kenny wants to come along too. He does doesn't he? Yes. Yeah. He's like, "Well, I get to go see this with. Uh, I get to go see this." With. I think maybe he thinks they'll like go in the back row and make out or something like that. <laughs> Smooch. Smooch. They're gonna smooch. Do you like smooching? <laughs> I think. I think the answer is we all like smooching. It's just the the volume and the variety of smooching. Yes. Uh, so um, let's see. Oh um. Uh, Jeepers Creepers pops up again. Yep, I got that down there too. Yes, <laughs> I um, knew you would enjoy that. Yeah, um, and they're there, and I, and I love too is not not only do they have that April and Paris moment, but they have the moment where when they figure out um, when they get the, they get the number for where uh, Victor is, and they're like, okay, he's on this stretch of streets, and and they're like, um, uh, okay, well, let's I don't I don't think they call it this, but let's do the phone trick. 
I'm, I'm calling yeah. the phone trick. I don't think. Well, um, Melody's not here, and Cal's like, I'll use a radio. And instantly they do this thing. You're like, what are they doing? I'm like, oh, they're doing that. And it's just like they've. You know, it's like they, they goof around and they have their drinks and they have these great meals that Rex makes and they, they, they joke during these as they're learning all this information. But but the moment it's like, okay, there's a man in danger. Okay, uh here's here's how we do it. I'll set up the radio and I, I like it. It's it's uh I think it's I don't I, I, I think the thing with this show and I think I think you're the same way with this, you'd never seen this show before, correct? Correct, correct. Okay, yes. This is and this is a rarity, like right now. Uh, on this show, uh, my wife and I have watched Ellery Queen Mysteries several times all the way through. And Ellery Queen's another show that's, oh. that's, that's very, Green Hornet is very formulaic and isn't quite this sort of, Green Hornet really doesn't give you much. Uh, apart from Mike, who gets beat up all the time, you don't really, so far, so far we haven't gotten much into what the Green Hornet and Kato are like, um, which is very Batman-esque. But the thing with Ellery that we love is, when my wife and I don't want to spoil the episode, we can talk about great scenes between Ellery and the other characters, or Ellery and his dad. Yes, and I love that show. Some of, oh, that's such a great show, and such some of the best scenes in that are just Ellery and his dad talking. They have just, a great relationship, don't they? Yeah, it's it's so good. They're so good together, mm-hmm. and, and 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 the great. Well, I, I was going to – we'll talk about Ellery Queen when we talk about Ellery Queen. But that's another example, folks, of a sort of show from that time where there, there's not really the continuity between the episodes, but there's um, – but the, the characters, you get to learn more about them as they go. Although you never really learn much about Ellery's mom. No, you don't. Although, although as my wife has said se- several times, she must have been very, very tall. <laughs> and I said, yes, so – uh, now let's see. Um, uh, do you have anything else on this one? I think. Well, I there were a couple of a couple of nice points in this one okay. when um, when they're talking to April about uh, uh, Victor their their marriage, and she said uh, something about uh, the last time they saw him, he went to the drugstore for cigarettes, and they never saw him again. Well, of course, that's one of the oldest cliches in the book. But again, I have a feeling that they used that one precisely because yes. it's the oldest one in the book. It wasn't quite a wink to the audience, but I suspect that that was not lazy writing as much as it was deliberate writing. Mm-hmm. And um, then there, later on, there is another um, scene where they're talking with um, one, uh, with a uh, um, policeman. I can't remember if it's in. I think it's on the phone, but he's a Lieutenant Gerard. And I, my wife and I both had the same thought. Oh, that's before he moved to Indiana and started tracking down Richard Kimball. <laughs> 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 yeah. So there. Oh, there's some nice. There are uh, there are some uh, nice moments, and there, w- without giving anything away, there's a very nice Stu Bailey tie-in at the end of the episode that I think uh, people will like. So I um I I think I have uh, maybe two more points, and then we'll wrap it up. Okay. Um, you know what? It's it's weird. I wrote down um, I am and put it in quotes and circled it, and I don't know what that note means. Someone must have said I am, and I don't know what that is. But I, I just say, um, um, Zorb has two henchmen. One of them seems competent, and he gets poleaxed. I don't know if that's a 
uh, a spoiler. The other one doesn't seem quite as competent. There's a weird thing about the left eye and the right eye. Well, that's from the gold bug. But I, I, I will ask this. Like, the left eye and the right eye are so close to one another. Would it have been really bad if he dropped it in the right eye? Would it have really gone so screwy? I I was so surprised that it was still there, there. after yes. all these years. But mm-hmm. but I know uh, you you reminded me of something when you're talking about the henchman that's not so bright, where where they he they're telling him to do something, and he says, "Why do I have to do it?" And they said, "You're the most expendable one." And he takes this like a great compliment, you know? <laughs> hey, I'm oh, oh, expendable, you know. <laughs> That's that's the that that's the I am. Okay. He actually he actually looks at Rex and goes, I am. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. And yeah. I like that he he looks at Rex. He doesn't yeah. look at Zorb. He, he looks. I am. <laughs> and it's just like the Princess Bride. You know, I don't think that means what you think it's it what means. What you think it means? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and uh, just a couple more points. One. Um, uh, there is a semi-pointless scene where Rex tries to escape from the bad guys. I've, I've watched it here, and they beat the crap out of him. Yes. I just, I just want to add that. I felt like I should, that should be mentioned. Um, another and, concussion. Yes, another concussion. Yeah, um, Zorb. What a name. Yeah. Uh, there's a well. He's friends with a doctor Zorb, and I think they named him Doctor Zorb so they could do that jo- that thing with the phone book, yeah. where he tears, <laughs> where, where 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 Victor tears a page out of the phone book. And it's from the Z's. And so that leads them to Dr. Zorb because they're like, how many other folks would he have known right. that had a, a Z first name? Um, I mean, up here I, where we live in Minnesota, um, if you ripped out a page and the, you know, if somebody's name was Johnson, <laughs> yeah. oh, good luck with that. Good luck. <laughs> uh, I, have one, I have one more, and it is about the dumb henchman, and then we'll wrap it up. Okay. Um, the, the dumb henchman, I sat there the whole time watching him going, I know this guy, I know this guy, I know this guy. He is one of, I think he might be the dumb henchman, uh, alongside Lyle Wagoner in a film called Never Steal Anything Wet, also known as Catalina Caper. Hmm. And I sat there, Catalina Caper was it made it uh, like in 66, and it was, it was oh, I think it was Warner Brothers. It was basically a big studio's attempt at a beach party film. And I love the beach party films, and it's a great beach party film. But it's it's best known for most of you probably from the second season of Mystery Science Theater 3000. Um, <laughs> and it's the one, it's the creepy girl song. I'm not going to sing it right now because my throat's a little raspy, but Tom Servo has the creepy girl. <laughs> my creepy girl. I'm not, I can't quite hit it right now because my voice is off. But it's so, so I sat there going, who is that guy? Oh, he's the henchman from Catalina Caper. He's a little smarter. In that one, but um, so that's relatively like, uh, speaking. Relatively speaking, so I'll I'll end with just saying again, um, Doctor Zorb is a great name, and I couldn't quite tell the the actress playing Charity Legrand. I couldn't tell if she was actually that age or she was much younger, and she had a lot of makeup on. It was tough to tell. Six on um, one. Yeah. So so I guess uh, let let's wrap this up, Mitchell. Uh, where can we find you online? It's about TV.com has uh, all of my writing on classic television. And the, the book, again, is The Electronic yes. Mirror, available uh, through Amazon. Or you can go to my author website, which is MitchellHadley.com, and that'll have information about where you can get it as well. I actually have the book in front of me right now, and I printed out a picture of you I found online, and I just have it sitting right next to me. <laughs> and I put a little word balloon that says, hey, Dan, what's happening? So it's pretty awesome. 
I, I recommend it highly to everyone. And that was the Golden Beetle. Oh, God. Yeah. See you at the next segment, everyone. Mmm, so good. Mm, that old crazy broad was right. This tobacco executive is about to discover that humiliating people can be dangerous to your health. Who killed him? Was it the unscrupulous advertising genius? Quicksilver shouldn't be in television. The long-suffering assistant. A husband's a Navy man away from home ten months out of the year. The love-starved secretary. Why don't you try to find out who tried to kill me? The beautiful creative director. Punch, power, it moves. Or was it someone else? Match wits with Ellery Queen and see if you can guess who done it. Sensational, Mr. Long. Punch, power, it moves. It has visual impact, Mr. Long. Shows the product. It's exactly what we need to get the sales back on the track. Bull! Whack! Okay, let's wrap it up. Silly gimmicks. I'll tell you what we need. We need impressions. Millions of impressions. Print, radio, that's what reaches the people. Television is just a, a frivolous, expensive play toy. But, but the television sets are selling like hotcakes. Nonsense. I don't know anybody who owns one of those silly little boxes. Oh, but Mr. Long, I you mean... You know, that's why can't... they passed you up and put me in charge, Manning, because I'm not going to waste Quicksilver's budget on some experimental playthings. You're right, Mr. Long. Quicksilver shouldn't be in television. And you, Crabtree, you better come up with something better than this or your whole agency is out! Lowell Thomas. We need somebody like Lowell Thomas. Yeah. You're right, sir. I, I've come up with a new idea. It needs a little polishing. I have a stockholders meeting tomorrow. Now, I want something on my desk, and I want it good, and I want it out there at 3 o'clock this afternoon. 3 o'clock? But there, that's not enough time. Time? Time is money, Horace. Make every second pay. That's how I got to the top. Four hours sleep. That's all I need. Three at night, and one hour before lunch. It takes 17 minutes for me to eat at my desk, and I don't squander two hours for lunch like some fellows I know now at 3 o'clock in my office, and it better be good, or you'll all be looking for work. Get a load of that jerk, huh? What a jerk. Yeah, that's super jerk. That's Mr. Long. He's, he's the head of advertising for um, Quicksilver Mild Cigars. And an and author of How to Manage Like a Big Fat Jerk. Do you, yeah, he's, he's a jerk, and, and it's, it's... Can't he just say no? Yeah, yeah. I didn't like it. Yeah. And he, you know, and obviously we know from hindsight that he's wrong, because television would be taking over shortly. That's very true. I hadn't thought about that. But, that television actually did take over. I'm kidding. Did, okay. I, I did realize that because I was watching this particular episode on television. True. True. Yeah. Many years in the future. Mm. And uh, 
Yeah, so that's... Oh, oh by the way, um, uh, that's my sweet wife, Madeline, everyone. How you doing, babe? I'm okay. I'm a little under the weather, but I'm happy to be here Yay. talking about Ellery Queen today. Yeah, this and this is episode 21. What episode is this, babe? You can, you can... Oh, your, it's your favorite word, the penultimate episode. Oh, boy. We were, we're... wondering how that word, why there has to be a word for second to last, mm-hmm. but not third to last or fourth uh, to last. What do we think? Tertiultimate? Ter- 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 like tertiary? tertiary? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't... Maybe that's why there's not a word for third mm, to, to it's, last. It's because it's not the best word. The word, mm. I don't know. I feel like if, if you consulted like the Oxford English Dictionary, there would be archaic uh, terms for like third from last, fourth from last. Maybe. I don't know, maybe the, the Druids were very specific. Very, very specific. So this aired March 21st, 1976. It's The Adventure of the Hard-Hearted Huckster, which is a title I'm not 100% sure I understand. Because well, Mr. Long's not a huckster, he's just... Maybe because he's in the ad game. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Okay. Maybe. Also, this was the bicentennial year. Oh, yeah, that's right. We're not too oh. far from the bicentennial. Yeah, Yeah. pretty close. Uh, directed by Edward Abrams, oh. teleplay by Robert E. Swanson, story by Robert E. Swanson and Lewis Davidson. Guest stars Eddie Bracken, Bob Crane, 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 Bob Crane, <laughs> Herb Edelman, Carolyn Jones, Juliet Mills, and Ken Swafford. Yes, it's the final appearance of Flanagan. Oh, Flanagan. Hooray. Uh, so, uh, yeah, and there's actually, let, let, let me play you this soundbite here. This is a great, uh, Ellery is in the, um... Uh, the headquarters, the Quicksilver headquarters, trying to get some research done, and no one will pay him any attention. And a couple of the executives are trying to give Flanagan his own radio show, which becomes his own TV show. What? And Ellery runs into Flanagan right here. Hiya, Florence. Tell everybody that uh, Frank Flanagan's here. Oh, Mr. Flanagan, Mr. Crabtree phoned. He won't be able to make lunch today. Oh? Tuesday, Coplay special. Hiya, Florence. Thought we were eating out. Oh, that's Mr. Long's lunch. He always eats alone in his office right after his nap. Very rigid schedule. Yeah, well, tell Horace that I'm here and ready to talk turkey. I believe Mr. Manley's already eaten. Already eaten? Uh, Flanagan. He brings his lunch. He has to be careful what he eats. An ulcer, you know. Maybe I'd better just run along. Wait a minute. See you tomorrow, Florence. Wow. That's the fastest lunch I've ever seen. What is he, a man or a machine? Those are yesterday's dishes. I wash them up and keep them in a cupboard in Mr. Long's office. Oh, yeah, I get it. It saves the waiter a second trip. I think I'll just grab a hamburger. No, I'm sure they said lunch at 1 o'clock. Yes, Mr. Sheldon. I'll tell him. Mr. Sheldon says for you to go ahead without him. He's been detained. I'll see you later, Flanagan. Now, hold it, Junior. Flanagan never welches on a lunch. Have you ever had the linguine at Mama Maria's? No. Come on, I'll even pick up the tab. Oh, Mr. Flanagan. Glad you could make it. Uh, hi, Manley. I was beginning to think something was wrong. Crabtree and Sheldon both said he couldn't make lunch. Uh, this is uh, Ellery Queen. He's sort of my copy advisor. They're fun. And... And so, uh, yeah, it's, it's basically, yeah, this guy's killed in his office, and it's something to do. There are lunches that are brought in and out, mm-hmm. and people go in. He takes a one-hour nap every day. Yeah, he takes a one-hour nap. So he nap. does say earlier that he only needs four hours of sleep. Do you think that includes his nap, or doesn't mm. include his nap? So he gets like three hours of sleep in the middle of and the night. <laughs> yeah, and a nap. <laughs> or four hours and a nap. Uh, Either know. way. He has his dighty with him. Wait a minute, what's a dighty? Is that a diaper? I don't know. Oh. <laughs> you made up the word, possibly. I, I don't know. So uh, you define it. He has his dighty on. I was hoping it was his dighty. I was dighty. like a pacifier, like, an, like, an, or something like a that. A nightgown. Like his, oh. You think he wears a stocking like cap? Like a, yeah. And then, like Ebenezer Scrooge, probably. Yeah. yeah. 
so yeah, so this guy gets killed, and the investigation begins with all the executives under under uh, suspicion. Dun, dun, dun. And his secretary, and it is Juliet Mills, folks. Uh, his, his secretary, of course, the star of Beyond the Door, one of my favorite Exorcist ripoffs. She's lovely. She is. She is. Uh, and and speaking of Exorcist ripoff, what's the main? Like, the, there's a lot of time spent in a TV studio in this. And what is sort of the main? What would you call the main color? Of, oh, it was like pea soup. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah, it was very pea soup. Um, just a, just kind of a yuck green color. It was. I mean, there might have been some colors in there, but it was like mm-hmm. all filtered through. You know, like, um, this will really date me, but do you remember the overhead projectors sure. in school? Mm-hmm. And they'd put like a colored film on top of things sometimes. It was like that. Like, maybe there were colors underneath, but it had mm-hmm. the, the pea soup transparent uh what did you call those? Transparencies? Transparencies? Yes, Transparency yes. Mm-hmm. over it. Sorry, yeah. I'm a little out of it today. Oh, she's... I'm just not feeling that well. Yeah. So forgive me for not oh. being articulate about archaic technology <laughs> and thirds from lasts and so on and so forth and so, down the line. And, uh, yeah, it's a, it, and Ellery actually matches the, the ugliness. When we first see him, he's got like almost a pea soup colored yeah. sweater on. I like that color coat. on him, though. It's a nice yeah. sweater on him. He, he has look, such nice eyes. Yeah, he always looks good. He I does. Think. And he's got some great faces he makes throughout this one, like always talking with Flanagan and stuff like that. And th- This is when we get to the end. We will be discussing, uh, I'd like to discuss the final scene. We're not going to discuss what happens specifically mm-hmm. in the final scene, but I think it's it's pretty interesting. When he solves the crime, you mean? Yes, yeah. And, uh, oh, I got... The, the, he, uh, Ellery and, and his dad are going around interviewing everyone. Oh, by the way, no, they don't go back to their home in this one. Oh, right, no. No brownstone. No time at the yeah. brownstone. Mm-hmm. Uh, several no plumbing problems. Yes, no, no issues making tea or toast or coffee. Yeah, it's, it or is. Or losing things. It no. Actually, this is sort of one of the most sort of straightforward, like there's yeah. very little um, I, of the I sort of the home life. I that. Good, good, mm-hmm. good. Good catch. And uh, and we do wonder there are two doors in Inspector Queen's office, one with his name on it that everyone comes in and mm-hmm. out of, but Ellery kind of comes in and out of the other one, and we're not sure. Maybe that connects to the brownstone directly. Maybe. Some Narnia. Sort of portal, some space portal. Hey, Dad, I'm, hey, I'm here. I'm here. We're, we're, uh, we're in the keys. Best commute ever. Um, uh, so space door. Sp- there, I'm, I'm going to play one more soundbite, and this is just, this character's only in one scene. And he's the chauffeur. He's the executive chauffeur. And is it the penultimate scene? No, no, no. It's <laughs> no, not. No, it's not. Um, so, so he was Mr. Long's chauffeur. Then, when Mr. Long is killed, he's Mr. Manley's chauffeur. And so, I just like this guy. Listen, this is the chauffeur. Uh, excuse me. Excuse me. Were you Mr. Long's chauffeur? Yeah, sort of. Uh-huh. I work for the company. I was assigned to Long. Now I'm assigned to Manley. Between you and me and the lamppost, it's not going to be as interesting. You a newspaper reporter? No, no, no. My name is Ellery Queen. I'm helping the police in the investigation of Mr. Long's murder. Yeah? Yeah. No kidding. Well, if you ask me, it was a Dane. Oh, yeah? Why do you say that? You see things in the rearview mirror, if you know what I mean. Do you know uh, Miss Rita Radcliffe? She was one of them. Many's the time I transported her post-dating platitude to a rendezvous with the boss. A real ambitious tootsie. Ambitious? The Radcliffe tomato wanted the Quicksilver tobacco account. But she works for Crabtree Advertising. Sure, but she's got plans to set up her own shop. Long was going to give her the Quicksilver account? Nah. The smiling Cobra was just stringing her along. He turned her down flat in a limousine this morning. She was really steamed threatened to stop his clock, if you know what I mean. I think I do, yeah. 
What were her exact words? Let me see. She said, I'm going to kill you for this, you blank. Blank? I forget the word. It's a new one. I never heard it before. You moron! You wouldn't understand any word that had more than two syllables in it. I ought to squash you like a bug. Excuse me, I gotta guess up. I just like him. I love this guy, too. You know what I love also is that you could see Ellery was getting a kick out of him. Mm -hmm. And I've, I felt, too, that uh, Jim Hutton was getting a kick out of him watching it. You know, <laughs> yeah. I just thought he was saying, this guy's really funny. He's yeah. really good. Yeah. So he just let himself enjoy that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, oh, I do have to make one correction. I realized uh, one of our listeners, Mike. Hi, Mike. Hey, Mike. Um, who, does, who does a lot of great research. If you go to the website, eventuallysupertrained.blogspot.com, and check the comments, Mike's always loaded it up with research on the actual episodes and the actors and I said at the beginning this is episode 21 of Ellery Queen Mysteries it's actually just Ellery Queen it's the box set says Ellery it's Queen Mysteries it's just Ellery it's Queen it's just Ellery Queen so I'm not going to go back to the previous 20 episodes and fix that mm -hmm. but thanks but Mike thank you Mike that. and for the final episode I will give the correct title we're going to do it. something to look forward to. It's a little cliffhanger. Will I remember or won't I? <laughs> I'll try to help you Everything's remember. up in the air. So, um, so I guess, babe, what did you think of the episode? I, I'm not, you know what? We've been doing this how many times? And I was not prepared for that question, maybe, because <laughs> I'm not feeling so well today. But uh, uh, I like the episode. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's good. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it, I, I... What did you think of the episode? I, I, I like the episode. I, um, I think this is one of the few where possibly... Um, as Ellery is doing his thing in the end, there's a moment where uh, Herb Edelman plays uh, not the cab driver that he played back in the first episode, right. uh, Old Lang Syne, uh, but he plays a writer who once wrote films but uh, hit the sauce too hard and is now writing copy for it's these It's a living, ads. as he says. Yes. And, and there's a moment where Ellery's explaining how the killing was done and he yells out, It's too complicated. The plot's too complicated, Queen. And why not just call him Ellery? Do you have to call him Queen? Um, but uh, and and this is actually one of the few where there there I know where it's going, but there is like as he's explaining, it's it's very it's a bit possibly a little overcomplicated the way he's explaining because there are a lot of lunches and things dropped in toilets and people mm -hmm. in this room and time and wine yes and all kinds of things and um, it makes sense in the end, and the killer is tripped up by something the killer didn't know about uh but that's all i'm gonna say that's all, all you may say yes 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 um i did love the cab driver he's one of my faves oh yeah yeah um morticia adams the actress who played mm -hmm. morticia is is one of the uh actresses in in, in this episode mm -hmm. she's very good i think she does the, like the design set design or some sort of design or something is it just me or is it hard to see bob crane in anything without thinking about you know what yeah 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 well, yeah, it is a little He goes tricky. to his office, and I think, is he going to... Mm, Bob. Bob. <laughs> yeah, yeah, unfortunately. Uh, I mean, he's fine. Mm -hmm. uh, he's good. Not, you know, just fine. He's, he's, he's good in the episode, but all mm -hmm. I can think about is, let's just say it, boys and girls, autoerotic asphyxiation. Yes, yes. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the show, <laughs> the penultimate show. It's about time we've addressed the issue of our times, autoerotic oh, asphyxiation. <laughs> Oh well. Oh well. I've said there it. You go, Bob. I don't it's know that I've really addressed it. I've just but named you just it. Said it. And, it's and that's there. the first step, I yeah, think. So. 
Uh, what I'm gonna look at my notes here. Let me here. see. You said I like something in your notes. I oh, noticed okay. I like the I naughty. Like what is the it? naughty? Where, is where that did what I put it says? that? I like the naughty. I like the. What does that say? The. I don't know. I like the. Jeez, oh, Louise, shiny American shine. I like the. Cough that... of him. I know this doesn't make sense. I, I gotta write my notes better, folks. <laughs> it does look like I like the cough of him. I like the Coventry. I like uh, the. We convent. don't know what it says, folks. I will tell you, it's it's near the end, so I think it's probably to do with the um, uh, the ending. We'll talk the end scene because it it basically takes place during Frank Flanagan's TV show, the premiere episode of his TV show. And the studio is set up in such a way that you have uh, the cameras are all pointed in 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 the sets in and around uh, there and in the studio. And Flanagan has just like a desk. I like yes. the concept of hair. No, I don't know what it means. I do like the concept of hair. You like hair. Too. I do like hair. You, but you like it actually in, general. in yeah. execution and yeah. theoretically and in practice. And you get to the camera pointing at Flanagan's desk where he's going to do his show mm -hmm. and Ellery is his guest. And then you have another camera sort of pointing at where they're doing these commercials with a woman with like a cigar box on her and she dances yes. and it looks a little strange. And then a cowboy comes out and shoots, shoots stuff. At her? Shoot, I guess shoots blanks into the into the camera crew. And then and then right next to that is the weather board where there's like a, oh, uh, yes. a blackboard. Fair and something it says. Yes. And, 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 and Ellery... Uh, and next to that is the cooking show. There's a cooking show mm -hmm. on right before it. And what happens is, is Ellery explains he gets up and he moves from set to set. And he goes to the blackboard and he draws very quickly like a map of the offices. And then he goes to the uh, kitchen set and pretends like it's the office, Lang, Long's, Lang's office and begins, Long's office and begins to kind of sort through how everything's going. And the cool thing about it, of course, is that there's something neat about, we've watched on television for the past 20 odd episodes, Ellery go through sometimes these very elaborate explanations. Now folks on television are watching him do that as we're watching them televising. Very it. meta. And there's, there's even a moment like where he walks past the past the sets to the executives and begins to kind of um, you know stand behind the executives and say this is Bob Crane watch out for him no he doesn't say that I'm sorry <laughs> you know and, and um, it kind of goes by one by one and then there's a lovely moment too where uh, Flanagan you see Flanagan watching Ellery on a TV doing uh, what he's doing so it's all kind of a neat um, neat thing and in fact there's so much going on I think that what that's what might lose me slightly mm -hmm. as he's doing all the stuff because you're cutting in between him watching it, the cameras, Ellery going from set to set, going with the executives and all the, and they're yelling stuff out. And it's, I like it, but it does. Yeah. One of the things that confused and amused me was during the rehearsals for the Flanagan show, mm -hmm. there was always a woman in a bandana and a leotard walking around in the mm -hmm. background. Did you notice her? Yes. Yeah. I, I realized at the end, I was no longer confused. I realized she was probably the cigarette box. Yeah, the cigar. Yeah, the yeah. cigar box. But, mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, are there going to be? Are there going to be like the Flanagan dancers or something <laughs> on this show? But there, there was just the one. So I thought it will be a Flanagan dancer. Sorry. Is it a budgetary yeah. thing? But then I realized she was the cigar mm -hmm. box. But <clears throat> I really enjoyed that in the preparations. There's always got to be one woman in a leotard walking mm -hmm. around in the background, <laughs> even if she's I don't know the caterer or something. She's I, just. And, and, and it's. it's it's interesting because like you don't see the cowboy 
who steps out and does the shooting. I mean, maybe we did, but he wasn't wearing a leotard. Yeah, true. And But you do see another cowboy oh, with a ventriloquist, ventriloquist dummy. What was up with that? I don't know. He kind of shows up and, and he, he makes a pass Juliet at Juliet Mills. Mills. Yeah. yeah. Who's having a rough enough time. Do you think that ever time. works? Do you think anybody's ever picked anyone up through ventriloquism? Maybe in ancient times. But um, maybe if the pharaoh had a ventriloquist. Maybe. Uh, I don't think yeah. it would work on me. Yeah, I would I would hope not. But yeah. that's just a personal thing. <laughs> So, <laughs> fellas out there, if you want to know the way into my heart, it's probably not through your ventriloquist <laughs> yeah. dummy. I still don't know what this... I We'll figure it out. I, I like the concept. I think it says concept of, of something. Yeah. It's right before shiny something. Shiny... Um, shiny... I don't know. I don't know. Do I don't know either. Shiny, yeah, Flanagan. Flanagan almost hits it big with his. Well, he they already say he's the biggest, um, like newspaper, newspaper guy, guy in 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 the city. So the fact that he almost gets a show, I, I don't I don't know if that's a spoiler. That doesn't have anything to do with the mystery. It They're not going to give Flanagan his own show. Come they on. do for one. thing. he gets one episode and it goes slightly wrong. He calls himself Frank Flackle in the beginning, which sounds like a <laughs> which sounds like a name from Mad Monster Party. But I'm Frank Flackle. <laughs> And did you did you notice that Vera, his secretary, yes. is there giving him some of his special coffee? Mm-hmm. Make it Irish. They I guess. have a real yeah. codependent relationship. <laughs> they do. I think. But but did you notice right at the end, after after the the mystery is solved, Flanagan is talking to the executives. Things things seem to be going well. You hear a phone ring, and then someone walks up and says, "Oh, it's it's for you, um, one of the executives." Mm-hmm. And it's Vera. Vera answered the phone. Oh, well, she's full service. I guess she is, yeah. If the she, phone rings, she's going to she, answer She's going to answer it, yeah. Uh, let's see, what else do I have apart from notes I can't read? Glanzer and hat. I don't, oh, glasses and hat. There's a nice moment where Ellery is sitting there with oh, his, yeah. his hat on and Before his glasses. The show and it's begins. like, you know, 10 seconds, Mr. Flanagan. And then the director walks up to him, whispers something in his ear, and Ellery kind of does a shrug, takes his, puts his glasses in his pocket, and puts his hat and in his And all of a sudden, hands. he's beautiful. He's a beautiful librarian. Yeah. <laughs> yes. His glasses off. Oh, my his hair's God. Down. Oh, my God. Gorgeous. I'm gorgeous. The whole time. I'm gorgeous. And it's, pre- it's pretty straightforwardly directed. There's a lot to mm-hmm. keep track of in that closing scene. And um, I do find, yeah, it, it is interesting that they don't go back to the brownstone at all, I, I guess. Yeah, um, you know, I didn't note that, but I guess that did add to a slightly different feel of the episode. It wasn't so focused on Ellery yeah, and, and his, his dad, dad yeah. I felt like, which yeah. I always miss. But the 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 guest actors were all quite good. So, mm-hmm. And the, the direction is, is fairly straightforward, although there are some moments like... Um, they are in. Is it is it in their inspector the queen's office? And all of a sudden, the camera zooms into the blinds, and everything goes out of focus. And then all of a sudden, the camera zooms out from lights right next to Juliet Mills's apartment, not not her mm-hmm. actual apartment, uh, the character's apartment. As far as we know. Yeah, as far as we know. Yeah, and um, and uh, yeah, her apartment is not pea soup, if I remember correctly. No, it's not. It's mm-hmm. nice. And yeah. I don't know. That character kind of broke my heart. Yeah, her she, husband's out. Of the mm-hmm. country, or out, he's a naval officer, so he's, yes, they're not together 10 months out of the year, and mm-hmm. she got lonely, and had an affair with her boss, mm-hmm. and then found out her boss was, was seeing all kinds of other women, too, yeah. and I don't know, she accidentally, I felt for her. She wrote him some love letters, and they yeah. kind of came back to bite her in the behind, and sometimes I was, you just can't win. I, I sort of wonder with that sort of life, where it's like, yeah, he's gone for 10 months out of the year, I think of, um, 
from Keeping Up Appearances. Uh, why am I blanking on oh, her name? Elizabeth. Elizabeth. Yeah, her. Their we neighbor. never see her husband. No. He's in like Iran or something like that. They they say like in the Middle East or something. He we never see never see her them. husband, which is which is weird, and she doesn't seem t- terribly yeah, maybe bothered. Maybe it worked for them. Yeah. Um, uh, let's see. I, I have Crestfallen Flanagan written down. That's yes. when he thinks he's not going to get the show. Mm-hmm. Um, called Your Alderman. That's a good line. That's a good line. I'm not 100% sure what an alderman is. Some sort of elected official, I suppose. Mm. Maybe not elected, though. Maybe um, ordained by God. <laughs> ordained by Do you God. think an alderman <laughs> is ordained by God? He's the one, he's the one uh, elect, uh, official who's ordained by God. Like an ombudsman? Yes, mm-hmm. I love that one. Uh, let's see. Uh, it's later than you think. Oh no! Isn't yeah. it always? Yeah. Uh, oh, and um, uh, what's there? A moment where Flanagan is doing fine until he sees himself on the monitor. Yes. And then he yells out, "Who's that? That's you, Flanagan." What? Uh, and he says something like, "Look at my fat white face. I look like a dead squirrel." <laughs> a pretty honest assessment. Pretty. Yeah. Fact. Pretty much. Yeah. Uh, but I feel his pain. It's I. Mm. You know. Yeah, that's why mm-hmm. I don't always listen to our episodes. I don't love hearing my voice. Oh, I like um, it. But uh, I don't mean to make it all about me. It's about Flanagan. And it's his, about Flanagan. white squirrel face. <laughs> In the beginning, there's a moment. Where, and we're just talking a little bit more about Flanagan because this is the last episode. That's with right. Him. Is, is, is Simon in the next episode? I don't remember. I guess we'll call that a cliffhanger. Will Dan remember to call the show by its Elder proper Queen, title? Right. And will, will Simon, Simon be, be back for the final episode? Um and yeah, there's a moment in the beginning where they're kind of um, Bob Crane's character looks at at Flanagan and he's like, Flanagan, you know, I, I got an idea. And they both kind of this um, him and Manly kind mm-hmm. of look at look at Flanagan. Flanagan's like, Do I have gravy on my tie? And I like that he's very specific. <laughs> he is. You know that he's like he knows. And that, you know he has had gravy on his tie on more than, on one, more occasion. than one occasion. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So. Yeah. Uh, let's but they see. look at him and think tele. Oh no, they were thinking radio at that point. Radio. It was first yes. off, was radio because uh, Long doesn't want them doing television. Because no, television's and, um, not here to stay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but we know that it really is. <sighs> oh. uh, what a huckster! What a huckster. Uh, yeah, I think I think that's all I have for this one. I, I mean, I think it's a it's a it's a pretty. Uh, pretty darn good episode it's got a nice it, it's one of those the the uh, i'll just say it's with the overcomplication of the ending the actual thing that is the zing is very simple mm-hmm. um but but in order to get there he has to explain the way the killing was done and the killing is done in a very um ellery queen john dixon Carr, mm-hmm. agatha christie style you know you know like when it takes Poirot 40 pages to explain how the killing occurred this yeah. is sort of an abbreviated version of it's that ellery's version of that yes and and he 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 gets it he gets it and unfortunately it does have one of those moments and then I'll stop here where the killer decides to run <laughs> and that never goes well because Veely is <laughs> it does not go well it's like on Southern Fried Stings yes yeah whenever they try to run Jay with his little legs always little seems Jay, to catch and he's got a, a guy on staff named Tank yes and the other who's and the other big guy William William yes yeah yes. William they're they're big guys they're yeah. gonna take you down yeah and he's got a guy named especially oddly because like. Twenty percent of the time, the bad guy, or or not bad guy, but is the naked. person who did it. Oh, oh is oh true. Forty percent of the time, either naked or a little person. <laughs> yes, yes. And uh, maybe one percent of the time, a naked little person. Yes, 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 yes. So, um, yeah. So the yeah, running is is generally not going to save you. Yeah. Um, I guess we got to do a Southern Fried Stings podcast. See, that had three 
you see, the thing with I think there were only 24 episodes of that show, so we could do it. Next time I have you on, we could cover <laughs> Southern Fried Chicken. But technically, it's three seasons, so it falls out of the purview of well, I this. I don't know that I could talk about Southern Fried Stinks without weeping through the whole thing. I think I think that's my favorite reality show, is Southern Fried Stinks. Oh, it's so great. <laughs> it is fantastic. I mean, we have taped literally like four years ago, 23 of the 24 episodes on our um, on our DVR. And whenever we're feeling down... You throw on a little Southern Fried that Stings. Jay! 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 And what is it? Um, London or Nero, Nero. Oh, yes. There's a, a guy named Wolf who has a, a drug-sniffing dog whose name is... Nero. Nero. Okay, Aww. so they know what they were up to yeah. in that. They're having fun with it. And so that's a little off track for a um, off track, that. But but, uh, but just just remember, yeah, don't... When Veely's there, don't, 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 don't run. Don't run. You're going down. Yeah, and... And uh, yeah, I think I think if that's it, should we um, should we go to a little Ellery talking about stuff? Little Ellery. Hey, little Ellery, what's happening? <laughs> the Ellery Queen babies. Oh, I'd, I'd watch that Saturday morning cartoon show. They all no. have hats and big glasses, <laughs> hey. and they lose things. Hey, everybody, come on over. And then they try to fix the plumbing. And it don't work. Baby style. It don't work. So let's. I guess with this episode, we'll say goodbye to Flanagan. Goodbye, Flanagan. You're a terrific character. Yes, and thank you again for joining me for this one, babe. Thanks for having me. And here is Ellery. Well, have you figured it out? In Washington, Colsey, you probably worked it out, too. Was it Florence? Max, the copywriter? Or did Jerry Crabtree stab Long? How about Horace Manley? Or did Rita Radcliffe make good on her threat? Or was it somebody else? No, it wasn't Flanagan. And the waiter didn't do it. I'll give you a hint. It's later than you think. All right, everyone. That was episode 55 of Eventually Super Train. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, Let's see, where are we online? Eventuallysupertrain.blogspot.com At eSupertrain1, Twitter. Eventually Supertrain is just the Facebook page. Uh, What else? We're on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher. Feel free to leave a review. I always love reviews. Uh, Feel free to uh, enjoy this library music playing behind me. I think it's fairly eerie. What else? Uh, Some Polish-American guy reviews things. Uh, There's my blog with some writings on it. I still have writings on Bleeding Skull. I'm on the Made for TV Mayhem show with Amanda and Nate. Podcast Mania is back. Yeah, my books, uh, Bleeding Skull, 1980s Trash Horror Odyssey, and 80s Action Movies on the Cheap are still out there. And, uh, yeah, that's about it for me on this episode. I hope you enjoyed it, everyone. And we're just going to eerie for a few more seconds, then we'll be gone. Good evening, America. This is Frank Flackle.